It's the story of the song. Yes, the story of the song. An artist wrote the story. The story wrote a song. It's the story of the song. There is a song. It has a story. And this guy and girl wrote the song together. Here's a song, a song of glory, a song with a story. This song will change your life forever. Here's the story of the song. It's the story of the song. Tune in, it won't be long. It's the story. It's the story. It's the story of the song. I would just like the record to show, both on camera and in front of all of you as witnesses, that the story of the song by Roman Roselle is not only available on Spotify, but that it's in my worship playlist. Like when I go to listen to worship music, this thing comes on shuffle and Spotify loves it, plays it all the time. But moving on from that masterpiece of artistic creation. If you don't know me, my name is Nick Fries, and I am the director of worship arts and technology here at Unite. But that's kind of a long title and I've been known to be kind of lazy so we normally just shorten that to worship coach. Um, if you've been around the past couple weeks, you'll know that we have been doing our Story of the Song series. And this is a series that's always been near and dear to my heart, um, something that I absolutely love doing every year. This has been a series that we've done the past few years, and I love it because, well, first of all, I love worship music, if you couldn't tell. I'm a little tired. But I also just love the idea of diving into the songs that we sing and trying to find the deeper meaning, trying to find the message of the song. For anyone who's missed the last couple of weeks, that's okay. You can always find our messages on uh, Vimeo and on Spotify. But just to give you a quick recap, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, you got to hear Mitch speak on that song Homecoming that we just sang. And this, this idea that despite the fact that we've all fallen short of God's glory, he still welcomes us home and loves us every single time. If you were here last week, you got to hear Taylor speak on the song Champion and the truth that God can use anyone and everyone for his glory, and that everyone is called and is loved by him. So tonight, to kind of wrap up our Story of the Song series, we're going to be diving into this song, Gyra. Some of you may know this song if you've heard it before. That's awesome. If you haven't, you might find yourself sitting here tonight saying, what is a gyra? It's kind of a weird word. I know the first time I heard the song, I found myself asking that question. And if that's you tonight, you're in the right place. We're going to dive into it. So we're going to start right at the very beginning, which if you ask myself or Julie Andrews, it's a very good place to start. We're going back to the Old Testament, right to Genesis in chapter 22. Now just for some context, we're going to be reading a story from the life of Abraham. If you don't know Abraham, he's kind of a big deal. You should read up on him. He's a cool guy. But just to set some groundwork, this story that we're going to be reading sets the groundwork for Abraham's life going forward. God told Abraham to leave behind the life that he was living and to build a new nation for God 
And he promised Abraham that we, he would give him this new nation and this new land would go to all the descendants of Abraham. The problem was that at the time that God gave Abraham this call, Abraham had no children. He had no descendants. Abraham called out to God and said, kind of like, what good are your blessings of, for my offspring when I, when I don't have any? I don't even have a son. And God says, go outside and count the number of stars, and this will be the number of descendants that you have. And Abraham trusted God. He believed and he trusted and loved God. So God counted him as righteous for his faith. Now, Abraham's wife, Sarah, was unable to have children. Both Abraham and Sarah were quite old by the time this story starts, and they didn't believe that Sarah would be able to bear any children. But God basically said, screw that noise, and he said, we're going to give you a son, and they named him Isaac. Abraham was 100 years old when Isaac was born, and he loved Isaac, his only son, that he wasn't supposed to have. And this is where we're going to pick up, right in chapter 22, verse 1. It says this, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called, yes, he replied, here I am. Take your son, your only son, yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, and go to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. Pause. So here we are. God is telling Abraham right to his face, yeah, I know that you love your son and all, but I need you to go and sacrifice him real quick. I don't know. If I was Abraham, my initial thought would be some along the lines of, excuse me, God, what? Like, um, come again? Uh, what, what do you need me to do? That doesn't really make much sense. But if we keep going in verse 3, it says this. The next morning, Abraham got up early, saddled his donkey, and took two of his servants along with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. No hesitation. No questioning. No indication that Abraham wouldn't do what God had told him to do. I'm sure that Abraham wasn't at all happy about the situation. I'm sure he wouldn't, like, be all right with doing this on his own right. But he had to be extremely upset with this call. He loved Isaac. He was the son that he wasn't supposed to have. And God had called him to, to sacrifice him. But Abraham, who trusts in the Lord, gets his things around gathers what he needs and says, Isaac, come with me. we got to go. goes on in verses 4. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. We will worship there, and then we will come right back. So Abraham placed the wood for the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders while he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, we have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Oh, the knife to the gut, that question had to have been. Isaac is a smart kid, right? I'm sure that they've done offerings together before many times. He looks to his father and he says, hey, uh, we're missing something here. We need something to offer in this burnt offering. And Abraham, knowing good and well where the offering is has to be just destroyed on the inside. No one but Abraham knows that Isaac is the offering here, and no one but Abraham knows that this is going to be Isaac that's sacrificed. And yet, listen to Abraham's response to Isaac. In verse 5, he says, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. Abraham answered, and they walked on together. Now, I don't know 
if he truly had faith that God would provide a sheep, or if he just said this to calm his son. But no matter what the answer is, Abraham is fully intending to carry out God's instruction and go through with the sacrifice. If we read on, it says, When they arrived at the place where God had told him to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. And here we see the ultimate trust that Abraham has in the Lord. He gets to the place God tells him to go, and there isn't any sacrifice there. So Abraham knows what he's got to do. He knows the call that God has placed on his heart, and he ties his son and sets him on the altar to sacrifice him. And there he is, standing, knife raised over the son he loves, the son he wasn't supposed to have, when suddenly, in verse 11, at that moment, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Yes, Abraham replies, here I am. Just before he's about to carry out the sacrifice that God has called him to do, the angel of the Lord is like, hey, stop what you're doing, hang on. Abraham, get this, Abraham replies in the exact same way. He says, here I am. The angel says, don't lay a hand on the boy. This is in verse 12 and 13. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in the thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering in place of his son. At the 11th hour, at the very last second, God shows up. God says, now that I know your faith and trust in me, so you will not sacrifice your son today. When Abraham needed him the most, God shows up and provides exactly what Abraham needs. In verse 14, it goes on and says, And Abraham named that place Jehovah-Jireh. As it is said to this day in the mount of the Lord, it shall be seen. This is where the name Jireh comes from. Jehovah-Jireh is the name of the Lord, our provider. Jireh means provider. When he needed him to the most, God provided for Abraham. That's the idea that I want to dive into tonight, is this idea that God is our provider. And at first, that seems like it's a pretty easy thing to grab a hold on to. God provides things. Cool. But like most things in life, it's really not that simple at all. You see, whether it's a conscious decision or an unconscious decision— Many of us have often find ourselves rejecting the idea that God is our provider. And if you don't believe me, I think there are three main reasons that we struggle to admit that God is our provider. So why do we struggle to admit that God is our provider? Reason number one is that we haven't seen his provision in the past. Maybe you've asked God to help and he just doesn't show up. There's a struggle or a challenge that you're going through, and you said, God, I need your help in this situation, but he just wasn't there. You prayed, and you asked for his guidance, and you looked for a sign, but you didn't see or hear anything from God. If this is you tonight, I hope that you, that you know that even when you can't see him working, God is working in your life. If we look in 2 Peter, it says this, But I must not forget this one thing, dear friend. A day is like a thousand years to the Lord, and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. 
He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Time is simply a suggestion to God. Our understanding of how time passes isn't the same as God's understanding. When we ask God to work in our lives and then expect him to respond right away, we're setting ourselves up for disappointment. If you ask God to work in your life on his time, you'll find the blessings. For example, for many years I've prayed this prayer, and maybe you can relate to this prayer, maybe you can't. But for many years I've I've prayed this prayer to God asking that he would send me a significant other, someone to love. I've prayed for a future wife, asking God to send her my way. But if, if you didn't know, I'm not married. I, I'm not in a relationship. God, God hasn't answered this prayer for me yet. But when I look at this verse, I know that God's just working on his time, not mine. I, I'm not saying that this is an easy thing to accept. I'm not saying that I can just all of a sudden go, all right, I'm okay with that. Like, no, it takes some work. I've had my fair share of failed relationships rejections, no return texts, first dates that turn into me doing her math homework. I've been there. Yet God is holding back on answering this prayer because he's working in me. He's being patient for my sake. Maybe I don't understand why, but I couldn't be more grateful that he's working in my life. I know that this prayer will be answered someday in the way that God has to answer it. I don't know what that answer looks like, but I know it's coming. Could be tomorrow, could not be tomorrow. I don't know, but I'm okay because I know that God will provide answers on his time. If you struggle to admit that God is your provider because you haven't seen his provision, I encourage you to lean into God's timing over yours. Reason number two, God hasn't provided what we want him to provide. This is kind of similar to the last one, but, but in this case, you see God's provision, but it isn't exactly what you asked for. You ask God for an answer to a challenge, and he may have addressed that challenge, but you might not be happy with the result. A good friend of mine and I were talking recently about this idea, and she was telling me the story of when she was deciding where to go to college. She had, she had decided that she was going to go to a Christian university, and she prayed asking God basically for validation in that final decision. But God ultimately says to her, no, you're going to go to Central Michigan University. And she's like, uh, that doesn't really make much sense, God. Um, you see, I could follow you better if I'm in a Christian environment where people are like-minded. But ultimately, God says, no, I want you at CMU. It wasn't the answer that she wanted at that time, but ultimately it was the answer that she needed. She's found since coming to Central that her answer to the prayer was there. The coming to CMU was definitely a challenge. Her faith has been tested since she's been here, but that challenge was the growth that she needed to strengthen her relationship with Christ. It wasn't the provision that she wanted, but it was the provision that she needed. Still, it can be challenging to accept that God is provider when he doesn't provide what we want him to provide. Maybe you're here tonight and you're someone who's prayed for healing in a loved one. But ultimately, that healing didn't come. You lost that person, maybe. You prayed so hard for God's healing hand to reach out, but that person ultimately didn't see the healing from God. You might be sitting here tonight thinking, how can you call God 
a provider. How can you loss, call that loss provision from God? If you're here tonight and you're thinking that, I want to turn your attention to Revelation. It says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. I'm not saying that loss isn't hard. I'm not saying that it's immediately going to be easy to accept when God doesn't provide what you want him to. What I can promise is that in the end, God will wipe away every tear. When you prayed to God and asked him to heal someone, but you didn't see the healing you expected, I challenge you tonight to maybe accept the fact that that provision of healing was still there. That God healed that person in a way that only he could heal that person. That person is home now with the Father where there's no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. Again, I'm not saying that this is easy to accept. It's really hard to accept. I know that my aunt is battling cancer right now. And if I lose her, it's not going to be an easy thing to accept. But I know that she's home with the Father. Even when he doesn't provide what we want him to, God is our provider. Reason number three, and this one hits home for me. When we admit that God is our provider, we admit that we aren't. This is such a difficult thing to admit, but the reality is that we aren't really the providers that we think we are. Maybe it's just me, but I know that I really struggle with asking for help in general. The church just did this whole series on the idea of asking for help or struggling And if you missed any of those messages, they're available online. But the ultimate message in that was the idea that it's okay to not be okay. You don't maybe have all the answers, but in Proverbs it says this. It's a particularly famous verse. I hope you've heard it. If you haven't, it says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. This can be such a difficult thing to wrap our minds around, isn't it? It's, it's similar to the idea of salvation that Mitch was talking about a couple of weeks ago, where we say, okay, God, I, I see what you're saying with the whole Christ dies for my sin thing, but um, I, I want to earn just a little bit of that salvation. Let, let me work for it just a little bit. And, and that's just not how it works. As frustrating as it is, that's, that's not what the Bible tells us. God says that salvation is a gift, and all that you need to do is accept that gift from him. As much as you want to earn it, you can't. There's something inside of us that says, no, I've got to earn that, because, and again, maybe this is just me, but if I don't, if I don't earn that salvation, I don't believe I'm worthy of it. If you can't work for even just a small part, I, I'm not worthy of the salvation that God gives me. And this is a lie that I tell myself so often. And if that's you tonight, if you're saying, if I don't work for my salvation, I'm not worth it, I have a simple truth for you right now. You're wrong. You can't earn your salvation, and you can't always provide for yourself. But if you lean on the truth, he will show you which path to take. There's a lyric in this song, Gyra, that says, You are enough, so I am enough. The key to understanding God's provision when admitting that we aren't the ultimate provider in our life is understanding that God provides in ways that we don't expect. 
again from Proverbs, when we look at the trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, he's going to show us which path to take. When we ignore our own understanding and our own thought processes, he's going to show us which path he needs us to take. When we seek after his will above all other things, he's going to lead us down the right path. And the key here is that he's going to show you which path to take. God, you are enough, which makes me enough. God empowers us to provide, but it's only through his power that we can provide. You can be that provider for yourself, but it's only when you acknowledge and trust in God's provision for you. Because when you do this, when you trust in God and you lean on in his understanding, his promises do the work in you and with you. It's difficult to admit But the ultimate truth is that God is our provider because without him, we can't provide for ourselves. Okay, so once we we go through that step, once we admit that we need God as our ultimate provider in our lives, the next question becomes, well, then what does God provide for us? Right, okay, I've, I've done the whole ego check I've, I've admitted that I need God to do his providing. So what does he promise that he's going to provide? And the first thing up is challenge. Some of you might be sitting here thinking, uh, excuse me, Nick, um, you, were, you, you must be wrong here because you just finished telling me that God is going to provide for me, and it, it doesn't really make sense that God's going to provide challenges, right? He should be uh, providing the answer to my challenges, Trust in him and he will show me the path to take, right? So, uh, so what do you mean there's going to be challenges from God? In this song, Jaira, throughout the verses we sing, I'm going through a storm, but I won't go down. We sing, so stand by my side when the sun goes down. The ultimate reality is that we go through storms. Sometimes the sun goes down. There's no avoiding conflict and challenge. It's pretty much a guarantee in life. Again, let's take a look at the story of Abraham from before. In 22, God issues Abraham a pretty serious challenge. He says sometime later, he tests Abraham's faith. Take your son, your only son, whom you love so much, and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like a pretty serious challenge to me. Granted, I I don't have a son, but I imagine that if I did and I was asked to sacrifice him, I I wouldn't be meeting this challenge with joy or anything like that. I'd I'd hit it with some hesitation. I feel as though in that situation, I'm seriously going to ask God why he's asking me to do this. When in reality, the answer to why God provides us with challenge is right here in this verse. God was testing Abraham's faith. God does the same thing for you and for me. He provides us with challenges and difficulties in order to test our faith in him. It's really easy to have faith in God when times are easy. When you're riding the high life and everything's going right for you, it's it's easy to trust that God is providing for you in those moments. But when the times get tough, when the challenges come, When you're not riding that high of life anymore, when you're going through struggles, it's really easy for us as humans to start pointing fingers. To start saying, where is that almighty provision now, God? When 
What we don't realize is that that season of challenge is the gift from God. He gives us the challenge because he knows that we're going to come out of the other side of that struggle stronger than we were before. In Romans, it says we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they will help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. As Taylor mentioned last week, it's in our weakness that we find our strength. My all-time favorite passage says this in 2 Corinthians, My grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. God says that to us, so now we are glad to boast about my weaknesses. So that the power of Christ can work through me. That's why I take pleasure in the weaknesses. And in the insults, in the hardships, in the persecutions, and the troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I'm sorry if I'm the bearer of bad news tonight, but the bad times are the times that we look forward to as believers in Christ. The weakness, the insults, the hardships, the persecutions, the troubles are all opportunities to grow in our relationship with Christ. It doesn't make the challenges any easier, it sucks. They're called challenges for a reason. But we can find hope in the fact that on the other end of that challenge, there is a God who's ready to welcome you with open arms. There's a God who will make you stronger than you ever could have made yourself. And ultimately in that challenge, God provides you with a choice. How you respond to the challenges of God presents well, that's up to you. The second thing he provides is choice. Ultimately, the choice is yours. God gives you the freedom to respond however you want to respond to challenges. We see this all over the Bible. Look with me in Psalm 25. Who are those who fear the Lord? He will show them the path that they should choose. Again, the path they should choose. There's a lot to unpack here in this verse, but the key, the key word that I'm honing in on here is choose. Ultimately, it is, it is up to you. And I'll be honest, when I think about that, I get a little scared. It's a lot easier to say that it's someone else's choice to make because then when it doesn't go the way I want it to, I don't got to deal with the fallout. But don't miss, don't miss the hope in this verse. Who are those that fear the Lord? He will show them the path they should choose. Ultimately, the path you choose is up to you. But you can find hope in this lyric from this song. It says, I hear your voice carried in the rhythm of the wind to call me out. You can rely on God to show you what path to choose as long as you fear and trust in him. We also sing again, you are enough, so I am enough. When you believe in the power of God's love and acknowledge that he is enough for you, you will find the strength in him. Because God is enough for us, we can say that we are enough only through him. And here's the really crazy part. The verse says that those who fear in the Lord will have the path laid out for them. It does not say that God will love them any less. The third thing that God provides for us, ultimately, is his love. 
As long as you fear and trust in the Lord, God does not love you any more or any less than he does right now. God's love endures forever, as stated all throughout Scripture, like this again in Psalm. I will sing of the Lord's unfailing love forever. Young and old will hear of your faithfulness. Your unfailing love will last forever. Your faithfulness is enduring as the heavens. God's love, unlike human love, is limitless. It never changes or wears out. No matter what you do, he never gives up on us. God loves you on your good days as much as he loves you on your bad days. There's no point in time when God's going to love you any less or any more than he already loves you in this moment right now. God has given us his love freely, and there's nothing we can ever do to earn or deserve it. This can also be so frustrating at times. Like we mentioned earlier, we, we can read verses like this or like John 3.16, God so loved the world, he gives his only son. And maybe it's just me, but a part of me, it, it just doesn't sit right. There's a part of me that says, no, God, this, this love is too good to be free. Please, God, can't you let me earn just a small part of your love? A love that can forgive me of my sins and not hold any grudges against me can't be a free gift. God, let me earn just a little bit of this love. Let me do this thing for you just to earn a small part. But God says, no, that's not how it works. You can't earn God's love. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. There was a separation between us and God. There was a gap that we could never cross. There's absolutely no way that we could ever reach that glorious standard of God. So God closed the gap for us. He eliminated that separation by sending his son, Jesus Christ, so that we don't have to reach a glorious standard. We don't have to earn God's love. He gives it to us freely. God knew that we could never reach him on our own, and he loves us so much that he became the one that reached out for us. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Again, looking at this song, Jaira, we hit the truth right at the beginning of the song. I will never be more loved than I am right now. I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. It doesn't take a trophy to make you proud, God, because I will never be more loved than I am right now. Right now, in this moment, you will never be any more or less loved. You can't earn more and you can't lose any. You're not holding God up. I'm sorry, but if you think you're the one holding God up, you're simply not that important. You're not holding God up, so how could you possibly let him down? You might say, oh, when I, when I step away from him or when I, I wander away from the path he's told me, I have to let him down. I've, I've disappointed him. But the truth here, you guys, is that he loves you just the same when you're on the path and when you're not. On the good days and on the tough days, he loves you just the same. It doesn't take a trophy to make God proud. You don't have to earn that love by saying, look at what I did, God. Aren't you more proud of me now that I did this? God responds by saying, I love you just the same. 
You can't be more loved than you are right now. And I'm telling you right now that that love is enough for you. Again, from 2 Corinthians, my grace is all that you need. The song says this in Jaira, I'm already loved, I'm already chosen. I know who I am, I know what you've spoken. I'm already loved more than I could ever imagine. And that is enough. Jaira, you are enough. You're more than enough for us, God. You're all that we need. God's provision in your life is good. The Bible promises us that the Lord will provide. But I'm telling you right now that God's provision might not always look the way you expect it. If we look back at the story of Abraham from earlier, God provides a massive challenge to test Abraham's faith. Go and sacrifice your son whom you love. God challenges Abraham because he knows that on the other end of that challenge, the relationship that God has with Abraham is going to be so much stronger. But in that challenge, Abraham ultimately has the choice. He could have decided to go or not to go to the mountain. He could have decided to take a different sacrifice. He could have not listened to the challenge of God. But he chose to stay faithful to what God had called him to. He knew and he believed that God would provide for him. And because of this belief and trust in God, God counts Abraham as righteous. The sacrificial ram was provided. He loved Abraham so much and gave Abraham exactly what he needed in that moment. God's promise of provision is all that we need. Jaira, you're enough. God, you are more than what we need. Tonight, I, I want you guys to hear a testimony of God's provision. I think there's something really powerful and special about hearing from the people around us their stories of how God has worked in their lives. So tonight, I want to take a couple minutes to let you guys hear a testimony from Leah Moyer. Leah, if you could come on up and share your testimony. Let's welcome her on up. Thanks, Leah. Hi, guys. Um, so, like he said, my name is Leah. Um, my husband is on staff here. Um, we've been here two and a half years now. Um, I, so when Nick first reached out, actually, about singing tonight, he said that we were going to be introducing Jaira, and I kid you not, I screamed um, in my car. I was so excited because this song, it, it's my life. I, my life has been marked over and over and time and countless time again by God's provision, and I, I would not be here without that peace. Um, I think I was eight when I first heard the term Jehovah Jireh. It was in a VBS song, and I think I could still teach you the motions. Um, but I, it really, that, that little factoid kind of filed away in the back of my brain, and it wasn't until I was older that I really realized the pattern that that would have in my life. Um, I was six when my parents got divorced, and my dad filed bankruptcy at the same time. So we didn't have a lot of money. Um, my mom, God bless her, had um, a degree that wasn't super useful in South Carolina where nothing good or important ever happens. Um, and so she kind of worked middling jobs for most of my life. Um, we had very little money. I wore hand-me-downs. Um, our cars were hand-me-downs. Our stuff was hand-me-downs. Um, and when 
the, a lot of stuff happened, but uh, when I was about eight, um, she got divorced again, and we were kind of in a hole, and all of a sudden, this condo materialized, and so we had somewhere to live for a couple years, and then when the rent went up because we couldn't afford it, someone from the church came forward and said, hey, I have this house, please come live here for a year. No rent, no utilities, they paid every single bill, and when that year was up, somehow financing and money appeared and we were able to buy a house. Um, and that is where my mom lived until last year. Um, but like I said, we were, we were still poor. Um, and I remember multiple times where people would just come out of the woodwork and be like, hey, you know, I just, I really felt like you needed to have this Bilo gift card or like, I really wanted to help you buy groceries this week. Um, and so there was always just, this this safety net that I didn't really realize what it was until I was older and kind of developed my own relationship and theology with Christ. And so um, as I got older and got involved in youth group, um, we obviously could not afford to go on any of the trips or mission trips or fun things. Um, and again, someone always materialized and said, hey, let me pay for you to do this. Or you can come do this for me and I will happily pay for you to go on this trip. And so everything that I was able to do in high school was a result of someone else coming forward with God's leading, going, they need this money, so you're going to give it to them. And I, I can't even express the impact that that had on my life. He, he provided my, an older sister who came, and um, my sister is much, much older than I am, probably 20-some-odd years, um, who came and did Bible studies with us until I met with Christ on my own um, and who brought us things that we didn't have and all these people who brought us things that we didn't have. Um, and when we, so fast forward a few years, when my husband and I got married, we moved very shortly thereafter and we used every last dime that we had to move. We weren't gonna get paid for like a month, we had nothing. Um, we were, it was just us and our stuff in this apartment that, we, had, we, we couldn't really afford to buy groceries, and all these people came forward and they gave us canned goods and toilet paper and Bisquick and like just food. And so until we got paid, that is what we lived on. And no, I don't really enjoy Bisquick every meal of the day, but <laughs> that is what we ate and that was what God gave us. And I think it was just another reminder that like, hey, I gotcha. Um, and so through all of that, through all of the, the physical provision and the stuff, there was always, like Nick said, it's not always just stuff. Um, my dad is a difficult guy. Um, and so growing up, nothing was good enough. Nothing was enough. Nothing I did was ever good enough. Anything that I was like, hey, dad, look at this. Are you proud now? It was always, okay, well, what can you do better? What now? And so I developed this very, very deep complex of inadequacy. And so, and he just, anyways. So as I was growing up through my very formative years where I, I wanted a dad and I wanted that father figure, that earthly father figure to show me that, like, that love and affection and give me that example of Christ's love for us, God provided those people for me. I didn't, my dad wasn't 
around um, in the ways that mattered or the ways that he should be. And so in his stead, there were godly men from the church who came forward and helped me and fathered me and um, became that. And even still, I had this deep sense of inadequacy and I just so desperately wanted to be loved. And I wanted someone to love me the way that I felt like I could be, even though I knew that I wasn't worth it. Kind of like Nick said, you know, I want to earn it. I want to do something, but it's, it's free, and it should be free. And I, it took me a really long time to get to that point, um, and God provided little pieces here and there um, and challenges so that I knew what I didn't need. Um, and then I got to college, and I met Mitchell, and gave me, he gave me this just example of godly love that I had not seen, that I had not had, I had not seen. He just provided this friend first. We were, we were really good friends. And just someone who, like, he loved God too. And he loved me because he loved God, and he was more than happy to show me that love. And it was something that I never expected um, and something that I had been begging God for for years. And all in his timing, suddenly this love appeared, and I am so, so thankful. And I could go on and on and on for hours, and I won't, about just the ways that um, God has provided for me, stuff, things, mental, spiritual. But I just, I think it's so important to just realize that it's not in the way we expect, but it's there. Um, all of that, all of that growing up and that struggle and that over and over again moving and trying and failing and receiving free for no reason at all aside from God's grace, it culminates in us being, and me being here and being in a position to use the gifts that I was given to for the ministry of God and just to be able to express that love that I found to other people um, and just that, that gift of provision of everything um, to other people because not everyone sees that regularly and I think that it's, it's important if that's not your express story to hear that from other people to know that like it's not here now but it's coming. Thanks so much, Leah, for sharing for us. You know, Leah's story in this, in this message tonight are simply a testimony of the ultimate provision of God. Like we mentioned earlier, when we sing, Jireh, you are enough, we're not only saying that God is our provider, but that he provides more than we could ever imagine. It's very easy when singing this song and thinking about the idea of God as our provider to put him into this sort of a, like a genie type of role. We ask God to provide things that we want when in reality we, we don't always get what we want. In fact, ultimately, we don't get to decide what God provides for us. And again, I'm sorry if I'm the bearer of bad news here, but ultimately what God provides is sometimes the last thing that we want. We can find ourselves crying out to God saying, why me, God? I don't, I don't deserve this. Please don't make me go through this, God. If, if you're so good, then, then why am I constantly going through struggle? 
If you're supposed to be a provider, why would I be going through this? And what I pray that you hear tonight is that those struggles and those hardships and those challenges may have just come straight from God to help you where you didn't know you needed it. When we cry and we groan to God, he hears those cries and he hears those groans and he understands exactly what you're going through. But he knows that you're going to come out of that on the other side stronger than you ever were before. But in that challenge, God ultimately provides you with a choice. He gives you the opportunity to respond to what he's calling you to hear. And I'm telling you right now that no matter what path you choose, as long as it's in accordance with the will of God, he's not going to love you any less. God promises to stand alongside you, and he promises to be with you through that. His spirit and his love will be, we, I'm sorry, will be with you through the entire process. We can rest in the fact that we know that challenges are coming. But no matter what or how dim the light is, there is light at the end of that tunnel. There is a way out. There is a God who's going to stand by our side, unconditionally love us, and show up in our lives in ways that we would never expect or imagine. I pray that you know and that you accept that when we sing Jehovah Jireh, you are enough, that you truly believe that God is enough for you. If you know this song well, or if you remember from when we sang the chorus together earlier, you know that there's more to it than what we've talked about so far. This chorus says, Jaira, you are enough. But here's the challenge. So I will be content in every circumstance. You may be sitting here tonight and saying, that's not possible. You might be sitting here tonight saying, Nick, don't even get me started. You've got no idea what I'm going through right now. You have no clue the hardships that I have to endure on a daily basis. It's easy for you to say that I'm content when you don't know my struggles. I don't think I could be content in what I'm going through right now, Nick. If that's you tonight, I want you to know this. I hear you. I'm not saying that I understand you. I'm not saying I understand your struggles. I'm not saying I understand exactly what you're going through. But what I am saying is this. I hear you. What I am saying is that this message might not change all of that, and it might not finally get better. But if you're going through something that I can't begin to fathom, you can still find contentment. You see, contentment is the opposite of self-pity. If our hearts are focused on God, if we trust in Him as our loving provider, then we tend to keep our eyes off of our troubles. I'm not saying that the troubles won't be there anymore, or that they're just going to magically disappear. But if we dwell on our wants and on our challenges, no matter whether they're small or great, we're going to lose sight of the provisions that God is giving you right now. So when we, saw, when we sing this song tonight, I really encourage you to practice what you preach. If you sing Jehovah Jireh, you are enough, and I'm going to be content in every circumstance, I want to challenge you, and I want to encourage you to put that into practice. I want you to give it all up tonight to God. Encourage you to put that into God's lap. Let it all go. If you need prayer, or if you just need to talk some things out, there's going to be interns and there's going to be intergens around the room tonight. 
on the sides. Feel free to go up to them while we're singing this song. If you need to pray with them, if you need to talk to them, they're going to be there for you. If you just need a minute to sit and have a one-on-one with God and kind of talk about some stuff, please, take all the time you need. Sit and talk with God. If you're like me and you need to stand and you need to sing and shout, let out whatever you've got to give God all the glory, I want to encourage you to stand and join us in worship right now. If you need to stand and you need to worship God, let's stand and lift up a joyful noise to him. No matter how you worship tonight, I want you to understand that right now, as we worship, I pray that you know and believe that in this moment, right now, and as soon as you leave this place, and you go home, and you go to bed, and you go about your day, and the day after that, and every day after that, I pray that you know and that you understand that God can't love you any less. You're never going to be more loved than you are right now. Let's sing this song together tonight. So I wouldn't try You've never been 
Thank you for being a part of our community opening the word today. 
We here at Unite challenge you to grow in your relationship with God, to grow in your relationship with others, and to go out and live a Christ-centered life. To learn more about Unite, follow our social media pages or go to our website at mpcc.org unite. God bless. Mm-hmm.